Hi, and welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I'm your host, Jen Milius, and I'm so glad that you're here and can't wait to introduce to you Valerie Abbott. Valerie James Abbott is an active parent advocate and champion for early hearing detection and intervention and parent-to-parent support organizations in Virginia. She has served on the board of Virginia Hands and Voices, is the first parent co-chair of the Virginia EDHI Advisory Committee, and has received the Governor's Award for Civilian Excellence for Virginia Fire Safety, spearheading special programming for families of children who are deaf and hard of hearing. Valerie is a guest blogger for the Center of Family Involvement and has published several articles online and in print about raising a child with a disability that have gained nationwide attention. Patapillo is her first book. Let's dive into the pond and meet Valerie. Welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I am so excited to bring to you Valerie James Abbott. Valerie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for the invitation. I am thrilled to be here today, actually. Really excited. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That is so cool. So I would love for you to start with, how'd you get into writing? How did I get into writing? I feel like I started as a very young person writing, and then I took a pause, and then I returned to it. Um, my first, uh, my first novel, actually, I was about 12 years old when I wrote it. Um, it took me all summer. It was in three black and white composition notebooks. And when I was done, I strapped them to the back of my bike and I rode to Doubleday Publishing because it was in my town. I grew up on Long Island. Doubleday's headquarters was in Garden City. And I walked through the front door with my backpack and my books in the back. And I said, I have a book that needs to be published. I love that. I know. And the secretary at the front desk was like, okay, well, we have an application. And she gave me this paper application. I still remember this day, clear as day. And I sat down to fill out the application right there. And she saw me doing that. And she asked if she could see my my manuscript. And I gave it to her. And she said, "Um, this will need to be typed when you submit your application. And I had written, I had handwritten it in a, you know, three composition notebooks. And so I rode my bicycle home and my book was never published by Doubleday, but I did write books after that as a young person. And, um, and so that's always been part of who I, what I do just for fun. Um, But when I went to college at Hollins College in Roanoke, Virginia, studied economics, um, my, my writing changed to very technical writing. And um, I was in banking for 14 years. And the second half of my time there was um, in communications, corporate communications, writing, um, basically speeches and messages for internal use. And, um, and then when I left, um, and I left because my daughter was diagnosed with a disability, Um, That's when I really returned to writing and it became more reflective, really thinking about what did I just experience? What did I just feel? What did I just see? How do I feel about that? And it was really just for myself. I did a lot of writing that was really just for me. And it wasn't until maybe, I guess, maybe 10 years ago that I started to share some of that with people. Oh, I love how you talk about how writing was reflective. I think of it as it's, it can be quite cathartic and it's quite healing when you're writing or when you're allowing your thoughts to flow so you can process things. I feel like that is such a therapeutic way to, yeah. to handle stress or 
just handle emotions or good or bad. It's just a way to help process. Exactly. And that was, I think, um, you know, after my daughter was diagnosed with a disability hearing loss in our, in our family's case, um, there were a lot of things that just came out of nowhere. Um, but not, you know, some connected to her identification, but some completely not. And so writing, um, allowed me to just stop multitasking. I could, you know, just think about this one thing or reflect on this one thing and write about it and kind of escape for a little bit and then, and then pack it away. And then the next time I was inspired to do some, you know, work, work through something, um, there I was back at the computer typing. So you mentioned a few things here. You mentioned the, the, the technical writing, the, the, the first novel. Yes. Very proud of that first novel. I think you should be a a creative outlet happening here. So a creative writing, then going to like a technical type of writing and then kind of somewhere in between, but more so what I'm hearing is going back into that creative space. Did that feel easy or hard when you've gone from a technical headspace and you're kind of moving into a creative space? I found it very, very, I felt very at home um, writing creatively and writing um, in a storytelling type of way. I've, I've never considered myself, like consider myself a writer. Like, I don't know why, that's just not a term I would use to describe myself, but storytelling <laughs> by writing those stories is really more how I, how I see myself. Um, I've always been told, you know, oh my gosh, the way you tell a story, you just can't, you know, you just have to keep going. I, I need to know more. And, uh, and so my, uh, the time that I finally found to tell stories, true stories, reflect on true stories, um, felt very comfortable, very, very, very comfortable. And um, I think allowing myself to write just for myself um, allowed me not to have the concern of, what will someone think of this? How will this be seen? How will this be critiqued? Is this accurate? I was just allowed to just write. And um, I think my skills just naturally honed themselves by just doing it over and over again. Oh, that's a really great point that it, it does take practice. It does take showing up and doing the work and whether it's a blank sheet of paper or whether it's rewriting what you've written before or going back and tweaking and editing it, it's that continual effort of, of improving, of growing and honing your craft, honing that strength. So I, I think that's a really beautiful thing that you've pointed out there. So to your point about storytelling, and you mentioned your daughter, how does that, I know that they kind of, they've showed up together in a way. So, and there's an example right behind you for the video that, that, so would you talk a little bit about this, talk about your book and talk about how it all kind of came together? Yes. So, um, I just put, published a book, which is amazing to me. Uh, Patapillo is my debut book, the first one that I published. And, um, and so it was originally written you know, more than 10 years ago. And it started as a reflection writing of about a year and a half, two years after my daughter was identified with hearing loss. And we struggled as a family through those first, you know, the first year or so, um, figuring out what does this mean? How are we gonna do this? I felt compelled to write down what had happened, almost like an archive. Um, And I wrote 
a lot of things down, not for anyone's consumption, but my own and just saying, I want to be able to remember what happened. I want to remember how we all felt and what we did. And um, I did end up sharing it with immediate family and they said, oh my gosh, you could totally turn this into a book. I was like, yeah, you know, I guess I could turn this into a book. So I started writing a children's book, which I had never done before, um, ever even attempted to do. But I thought, you know, I wonder, you know, this could be a children's book. So I started writing it, but I was writing it from my perspective as the mom. And I was keeping it very, very factual. I felt very, um, I don't know, self-imposed, you know, this must be all true. And um, I was struggling with that. I was really struggling with how do you, how do you write a children's book and keep it hundred percent accurate? And I took some classes at the University of Richmond um, that helped me to kind of rethink it. And the professor there said, what if you allowed yourself, you gave yourself permission for this not to be hundred percent true, meaning it could become fiction. You could move some things around. You could have the character, different characters thinking and saying different things. And I was like, can I do that? Can I really do that? And he said, I think you should. I think you should. And permission to do that completely changed Patapillo, completely changed it. And what it allowed me to do was to use my oldest child, Mary Claire, who's three years older, um, to imagine what this must have been like for her, from her perspective. And, and even though she was too young, you know, to even articulate what she was experiencing, doing it that way allowed me to take a lot of my emotions and the things that I did and the things that other people said and, and to really just work it into a beautiful story. And it felt right and it, and it looks right. And it just, everything about it made sense, but I needed someone else's permission to do that. And so I'm still very grateful that um, I got that advice, that I took that advice, and that um, I allowed myself the freedom to say, if this is not going to be a story for me and for our family's consumption, and this is actually for other people, you need to write it in a way that it's most helpful for them. And that's how Patapilla has been written, is really as a, um, as a tool for professionals to give to families as, um, as a resource for families, but also as a gift of hope, because that's one of the things that we as family members of a child with a disability is when you first get this information, most of us have no idea what this means. And we have so many questions, we have so many concerns that having a book that says, yes, everything you're feeling is valid, everything you're experiencing, you are in good company, but in the end, everything's okay. Everything's okay. Oh my gosh, that was just amazing. I, there are so many nuggets just in what you just said. So <laughs> first, I love that you said that you accepted permission, you accepted somebody else giving you guidance, but you realized you needed to give yourself permission to shift point of views, to try something different and to look at it from a different angle by taking this piece that's very real, but writing it in the context of fiction that it basically create it felt expansive that it felt more fluid and a lot more real in its own way because you were able to put more into it you were able to really just do more processing is how i'm how i'm taking this is that yeah. correct yeah okay yeah it it really was it was um it it not only benefited this story 
that that idea that everything doesn't have to be 100% accurate and exactly as it happened. Um, but everything else I've written since um, has become better because I've given myself permission to say, okay, well, what if, you know, the sky wasn't blue like aqua? What if it was blue like slate? You know, kind of, <laughs> you know, giving yourself permission to, um, to use different ideas and different concepts and mold things. It just, it just made me a better writer. That piece of feedback that I received that was a gift that I accepted um, has changed my writing completely. I love that. So with coming from Mary Claire's perspective, so coming from this, the older sister's perspective, were there some things that you found were fun to write or different to write because you were coming from not just another vantage point, but a child's vantage point? Yes. So when I first switched it and I had the story, Pat a Pillow was told through the lens of the older sister and I went to class and, you know, I'm with all these other writers and authors and some published and some had not yet. And there was this one unifying comment and they said, the older sibling's too nice. <laughs> She's just too nice. She's too supportive. And I said, well, she is like, what, what are you saying? And they said, not all families have this like, you know, lovey-dovey, ooey-gooey, you know, happiness all the time, which wasn't really our life either. But in this case, my daughter, Mary Claire was very supportive and was very protective. And so they said, I think it would be more interesting if maybe she wasn't so excited about all of this, if she wasn't so supportive and maybe she comes to that place. And I went, oh. And again, it was a stretch of, but that's not really her. And I was reminded, this is a work of fiction now. This is not, this is a work of fiction. You have permission. And so I spent some time imagining, okay, so if this character is not actually my oldest daughter, but is reflective of any older sibling, what could this look like? And so that's the character that we see today um, in Patapillo, which her name is not ever mentioned within the story. It's mentioned in the introduction because her character is modeled after her, but she is a fictional character. And in reading through it now, it is, it's really funny. I mean, some of the things that the older sibling says and thinks um, were really the things that I said and think. Like at one point, it's like, what the heck are you talking about? And that was something that we as adults said, what are you talking about? She can hear just fine. Um, and so it really did allow me to make that character, um, I think more exciting to kind of go on the journey with. And certainly the feedback I've gotten from families is that that older sibling is connecting with older siblings around the country. They're saying, yes, yes, that's yes. It's basically saying, you see me too. You yes. understand not just my sibling, but you understand me and you understand that there was change happening to all of us, even though it impacted my younger sibling the most, it still impacted me and impacted my family. And you're, so it's almost kind of like them saying, thank you. Thank you for seeing that and helping me too. The sibling dynamic in any family of a child with disabilities is um, often just overlooked. They are frequently the ones though that have a front row seat. They go to the appointments, they're overhearing conversations, they are playing and living every day with, um, with the other children of the house. And, and so it's easy to forget that they are also impacted. They also have a perspective 
Um, and years later, they'll be able to tell you a little bit about that perspective. So um, the emphasis really was on the sibling dynamic in Patapillow. And I'm thrilled with how it came out that way. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. So how did you uh, identify and work with your, uh, your illustrator? Gina is amazing. So when my publisher, Kim Ely with Kiwi Publishing, when we agreed last summer, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to publish this book. I didn't have an illustrator. She didn't, you know, we were starting from scratch. And, um, and so we started, I'm trying to remember the name of the website we were looking at, but we were doing an international search for an illustrator that worked in watercolor. I, I didn't have an idea for what I wanted the cover to look like or what I wanted other illustrations to look like, but I knew that I wanted um, watercolor illustrations. And so we went on a search and I came across um, Gina Wataisiak's uh website and some other places. And I said, that's what I want. I want that, I want that type of thing. And so uh, we contacted her and interviewed her and come to find out she was born and raised on Long Island and lives in Richmond about five miles from my house across the, I know. <laughs> that's awesome. Had no idea prior to that. And it really felt very um, meant to be. And she was brilliant in the, um, the concepts that she brought to the table. I said, the only requirement I have is that my family members resemble ourselves. That's it. Like, especially my children resemble, not that just resemble. And you can do anything else in there. And, um, oh, and that the hearing aid illustration that's in the book needs to be very, very lifelike and um, the best illustration of a hearing aid out there. And she successfully did both of those things, but she imagined um, she, for example, the butterfly that is used and the caterpillar that's used are Virginia's state insect, the Eastern swallow, the Eastern tiger swallowtail caterpillar or butterfly. And the tree that is reflected in, in the story um, is the state tree, which is the dogwood. And so she felt making it as lifelike, even to the detail that this story happened in Virginia, that it's a family that lives in Virginia, um, even those details, she, she came up with those ideas and they're just beautiful. She just, she delivered, she really did. Oh, I love that. So what was it about watercolors that you, that really spoke to you that you wanted for this book? Something about the softness and the ability to imagine yourself in that space. Uh, you know, I see a lot of children's books now that are more, um, uh, I don't know what the right terminology is, but more graphic designed or more cartoonish. And those are wonderful books and they're hilarious and they're beautiful and they're, they're all the things that they need to be. Um, but I really wanted to, um, to return to something that was more familiar from my childhood and um, that was more reflective of the of the feel of the emotional response and watercolors just felt really, really uh, in sync with, with the story. Oh, I love that. I think that is so beautiful. I love hearing how pieces come together like that because all the different styles of illustrations, you want it to align with the story and with the characters and with what you were trying, that bigger vision that you have. So I love that you found that and you found the right person. And yes. oh my gosh, like five, mi five miles from you. That's awesome. <laughs> it was wild when I was like, where are you? And I couldn't believe it. And what's amazing is that 
um, Gina and I have never met face to face because all of this has happened during COVID. And her family's been very careful. We've been very careful. And so we will meet for the first time on Tuesday at our um, thank you launch party um, here in Richmond. And <laughs> I don't know, I'm going to cry. I mean, she, uh, to go through all of this, all of this over the last nine months, um, never having actually seen someone face to face, just wild. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited for you both. Oh, that'll be so wonderful. <laughs> that'll be so cool. Yeah. So when you write a children's book, you've got really kind of two different audiences you're talking to. You have the client element, which is the person who's receiving it, but they don't necessarily pay for it. And the client in this space, in this context for a children's book is the child, but the the customer, the buyer in this case, sometimes it's the parent, but it doesn't always have to be limited to that person. So who else do you have in mind when you think of your audience for the book? I am hoping that with enough word of mouth that pediatric audiologists and speech language pathologists, um, auditory verbal therapists, people who are in early intervention, um, that they will keep these in their, um, in their file cabinet. And so when they are working with a family of a child who's been recently identified as deaf or hard of hearing um, and where hearing aids are likely the kind of the next step that this will be what they give to the family as they start building the relationship with them. And um, what I can say is that a family's relationship with their audiologist especially is really, really important. Um, I've known many families that have gone to five, 10 different audiologists before they found the one that they felt was actually going to be helpful for them and their child. Um, and so if this helps audiologists um, better connect with families, um, which then improves the likelihood that they'll return and they'll come to their appointments and they'll, um, uh, you know, that they'll have a good relationship with them, which really does make a difference in the child's life. Um, then that is a success for this book. Um, yes, families are going to read it. Hopefully they're going to connect with it. They already are. But how are they going to be introduced to the story? I am hopeful that it will actually be the audiologists, the pediatricians, the speech language pathologists that will say, have you heard of the book Patapillo? And then they introduce it to them. That is, I think that's wonderful. So how are you helping to get in front of this particular audience? I have been reaching out to large practices. We just launched the book on May 4th. So this is what week two, um, but I am hoping to go to conferences and actually meet um, the people in the field to introduce them to the story, to the book. The end of the book, the very end of it, the last two pages, um, there's a pretty comprehensive list of agencies and organizations that are dedicated to families who are deaf and hard of hearing. Um, providing support, information, and resources. And so um, that alone is valuable for professionals that are working with children. Is it already built into the book? Um, so I am hopeful getting in front of people at conferences um, and we are going to do a family road trip this summer starting in July. We're gonna start up in New York on Long Island where I'm born and raised and we're gonna head south and see as many people as we possibly can. Oh my gosh. I love the creativity with that. I think that that's great because, you know, you, you do want to be getting in front of the right people and whether it's in front of 
the business that can help in one way? So the, the pathologist, or is it in, is it with the child, the, the family itself? You know, I think that that's wonderful. Have you also considered school visits uh, for you know, into the fall or what have you? Yes. Yeah, so actually, um, what also happened on May 4th of this year was I launched Late Onset Hearing Loss Awareness Week. Um, and I did that with Justin Osmond of the Olive Osmond Hearing Fund. And so what I did this month was I've been meeting with preschools and reading to preschools, um, especially because that's when my daughter was identified was through her preschool program. And, um, and so connecting with the preschools who then will tell the families, oh, by the way, we had an author come talk about late onset hearing loss, share her family's journey. Um, and so the parents maybe you know, that's an opportunity for the parents to be thinking, oh, you know what, is there anything that I'm noticing? You know, should we have a hearing evaluation? So yes, in the, in the fall, once, you know, schools are back, my, my hope is that I'll connect with um, preschool programs and kindergartens specifically to, um, to read Patapillo, to share the story, but to get in front of the parents so that if they have noticed any developmental delays or any behaviors that they're like, I wonder what's going on, that they consider a hearing evaluation. That's awesome. That is really awesome. So I do have to ask you, Valerie, how do your, your children feel about being part of a book? They love it. It's, um, it's been such a part of our lives since, you know, the very beginning, because it was written 10 years ago. And you know, it was read and we tried to find a publisher and that didn't work the first time around. So it's been part of our lives since the very beginning. But now that it's actually published, um, we're having a good time. The, the girls and I are going around the Richmond area and hosting ladybug hunts. We have we read the book and they run out there and hide these wooden ladybugs and the preschoolers go wild. And it's so it's really a family affair. Um, they have been interviewed a few times um, to ask, like, what has this been like um, for you? And that's been fun for them, but really they're most excited about hitting the road. We have all been cooped up for what, a year and a half. We haven't been anywhere. And they've said, if we can get the minivan packed, we'll go anywhere and do anything. So they're excited because this might mean travel. <laughs> they're keeping their priorities straight. Mama. They are. I they mean, are. <laughs> and they're 16 and 19 now. So they're, they are really, really helpful. Oh my gosh. That's, yeah. that is so beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful and so awesome that they are as excited now, you know, to be a part of it and to be helping to, to spread the word, if you will, but to show that support. I think that that's so cool that it's really just a beautiful thing that your it's family, a family has project. Created. Yeah. There's so much love that's been poured into this. It's just, you can just feel it. It's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Valerie, where can people connect with you and where can they get Patapillo? So my website is ValerieJamesAbbott.com and I do, I mean, everything comes through me. So if people want to connect with me there, um, my email address is ValerieJamesAbbott at gmail.com. And um, I am very much in the beginning process of connecting with people. So I respond to everyone and anyone who reaches out to me and um, I am very open to unique ideas, as you, as you know, from taking advice from a professor who said, I think you need to rethink how you're going to do this. So I would hope that people re would reach out to me. Oh, that's awesome. And where can they get the book? Anywhere now. It seems like it's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, and I'm in Target, which is amazing. Very, very cool. I love that. 
Valerie, thank you so, so much for making the time to be on the show. This has been such a joy. And I love how many people you are already helping and will continue to help. This book is such a gift. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad you were here and know there were some valuable nuggets shared to keep going, keep writing, and keep sharing your work. I'm a big believer that if you have a book that's in your heart to write, then there's someone else out there who needs to read it. Your story needs to be shared, so you have to write it and get it out into the world. Until next time, keep swimming upstream while going with the flow and get your book into the world. To learn more about Tough Fish and jump into the pond, visit jennifermilius.com forward slash tough fish.